Good afternoon, church family. Happy Sabbath. It's so good to be in church together. And praise the Lord, it is sunny outside. Amen? All right, I guess just me. Last week and the last 10 or so days, mercy, it's been raining, downpouring. Some of you missed it. But then I heard, I think Gato, you remember Gato from Indonesia? He went back and he told me, like, the last two weeks had been raining as well in Indonesia. I'm like, wow. I thought it was just in here in the States, in California. But I was so frustrated, I, w- I have to tell you. I was trying to get things done, trying to do some things that, are, that require me to go outside, you know, or to go to places that move me, requiring me to get into the car. But I was so upset, like, why, why so much rain right now, right? But then it was only until um, one time I was driving from my brother's house, the, the new place, um, on the 10 freeway, and I took the California exit and went straight for Barton Road, and that's when I realized, voila, the Holda Hills are green. Amen. So if there's anything you take away from this sermon at all, you're welcome. The Holder Hills are green. You're welcome to explore with your family today. It's sunny. Would you join me in prayer one more time? Gracious God, we are so grateful for the rain that has washed all the smog away, Lord. grateful for this place that we can come together and worship. We know, Lord, that each one of us here are here, not by accident, but for a purpose. We ask, Lord, for your spirit to guide us as we open your word. Be with us now. We love you. Amen. If you've ever hosted an event before, say a holiday meal, a group gathering, a group meeting, class vespers, fundraiser, or perhaps even a wedding, you know that there are a hundred little details that, you need to be, that need to be taken care of before the guests arrive, right? One or two details could make the difference between a great event and a hosting nightmare. Just one thing sometimes. Now imagine for a moment that you have been asked to help prepare food for a gathering of 40 people. 40 people. Let's call it a Vespers. Now imagine that you have come to the kitchen, you come to prepare the food with your things, and then you find out that the two other members who were supposed to help you prepare did not show up, and now you are left by yourself to prepare the food. What would your reactions be? Yeah, exactly. Panic. Worry. And then you would hurry like you have never hurried before to get to places grocery stores, to get more things so that you can actually feed 40 people. Or if you're a youth pastor, you would just hurry on down to your friend Domino's 
and get enough pizzas for 40 people. Now imagine if you were also the one giving the worship talk at this gathering. Now imagine if you have somehow managed to pull this off, you'd be exhausted and mentally drained. For some of us, hurrying, like what was just described, happens far too often. Perhaps once a month or once a week, or if you're a parent, Perhaps you hurry every day feeding your kids, getting them out to school, getting them actually change clothes and shower, running to doctor appointments, to swim practices, to soccer games, to music lessons, to churros, and the list goes on. You barely have any time for a good home-cooked meal, let alone some me or alone time. Or perhaps... You're a ministry leader of some church of 2,000-plus members having to worry about things you're responsible for week after week or even every day as you barely have any time to be with God and to be in His presence. Whether you are a parent, a ministry leader, or a high school student keeping up with classes, or the person working at the grocery outlet at checkout, everyone, I mean everyone, has their plate full of activities. We all have to deal with the distracting realities of tasks, responsibilities, obligations, yet spending time with God is not nearly as demanding as our to-do list. And we wonder, why are we so unhappy how have we come to this? What are we doing to ourselves? If you're not convinced, ask a few people after the service how they're doing today. And I guarantee you, at least one of them will say the famous word, oh, busy. Therein lies the problem, my friends, busyness. Too many things to do in too short of a time. Our schedule is overpacked, too busy for church, too busy for friends, too busy for family, too busy for God even at times. Too busy and we live, we live this much hurried life. And yes, I'm not just talking about the cultures of the world, but we are also talking about the cultures within the church. If you're still not convinced, let me share with you some quotes that I found in preparation. John Ortberg says, For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of life. And that we will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. Blaise Pascal, the famous philosopher, puts it this way, busyness sends more people to hell than unbelief. I need to think about that for a moment. A pastor in North Carolina, J.D. Greer, says, and even if after you are a Christian, 
Busyness destroys your joy, your capacity to love, and your ability to hear God. One of my favorite authors as of recent, John Mark Comer, writes it this way. Our hurry threatens what matters most. And he says what is at stake isn't just our emotional health, although that is serious enough. But our spiritual lives hang in the balance. Ellen White says, overwork causes a loss of self-control. But the Lord never compels hurried or complicated movements. Let me translate that for us. The Lord never compels any of us to live a hurried life. Dallas Willard said that hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. And therefore, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And last but not least, also another favorite author, Corey Ten Boom says, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Think about that for a moment. Both sin and busyness have the exact same effect. They cut off our connection to God, to the other people, and even to our own soul. No wonder when we read Jesus' invitation in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, it still rings true even in today's society. When he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now I get it. We got to talk about this yoke for a second here. Is this yoke? I, I don't, what yoke? Like, is that when you work out so much that you get yoked? No, that's something else. Yoke often is an agricultural term, right? Like, do you have these two bulls or cows that would carry, so one, you would be, one would be you and one would be Jesus. So Jesus would carry the heavier, the, the burden together along. I don't know if that helps. Uh, but for me, when... Uh, when I'm exhausted, I want two weeks in uh, Hawaii, not a John Deere tractor. Um, okay, that's uh, beside the point. But the yoke is this language that when you take upon someone's yoke, you, you become an apprentice to that person, the rabbi. So you, you start to smell like that person. You start to sound like that person starting to look and live the lifestyle of that person. I hope you're following. And here Jesus is inviting us to take his yoke. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this passage. He says, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it, Jesus says. And learn the unforced rhythms of grace. 
I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. You see, often, most often, our experience of rest occurs only in what happens after an exhaustion. But church family, Jesus invites us into a deeper experience of rest, the true rest in him. So I invite you to follow along just a brief passage in Luke chapter 10 again. Perhaps as we glean together, we would rediscover how we can experience this rest that is found in God's presence. Luke chapter 10, verses 38, 42. Jesus and his disciples were on their way to Jerusalem. Quite possibly, part that is significant in his ministry. On the way to Jerusalem. And they stop at a village, most likely Bethany, because if you read the other Gospels, we're told that it's Bethany, where Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, Jesus' friends, reside. And Martha, we read, welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was, what is the word there? Distracted with much serving. And so she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. It's kind of funny. But I, but I love what Jesus says next to Martha. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. If I may offer a few observations for us to highlight here together. First, culturally speaking, when scripture indicates a woman to be sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to his teaching, which was only at the time assumed the assumed position that is taken by men, this is worth noting as significant. Unfortunately, it's not where we're heading today. But I just want to highlight that. It's a sermon on its own. Nonetheless, the very act of sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to his teaching as his disciple stands on its own. Secondly, it says that Martha was distracted with much serving. Oxford Dictionary defines distraction as something that prevents someone from giving full attention to something else. And someone who is distracted is someone who is unable to concentrate because one's mind is preoccupied. What was she preoccupied with? Trying to prepare for her guest? And in the process, she became resentful at her sister Mary, who was just sitting at Jesus' feet. And in her annoyance, Martha began to boss Jesus around saying, tell her then to help me. How many of us have found ourselves in that position before? Nope, just me. Just me, apparently. Wow. 
Often when we read this passage, at first glance, the passage, the passage seems to juxtapose Mary as the contemplative and Martha as the activist. And the usual interpretation that comes out of this, usually that we, we are to be as prayerful as Mary and to resist working frenetically like Martha. Well, there's some truth to that, but perhaps there's another way of viewing this passage. You see, like Martha, Jesus, too, had plenty of moments of non-stop activity. Yet he remained anchored in attentive presence with his Father. I love how Jesus addressed Martha. Again, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen this good portion which will not be taken away from her. And in that moment, Jesus tenderly acknowledged how worried, how distracted, and how upset Martha was. But then Jesus let her know that Mary had chosen that was, this was the better part at this moment. The only thing that was necessary is the attentive presence. Perhaps the issue with Martha is not so much so her busyness as it is her lack of inner attentiveness to Jesus. As West African theologian Robert Sarah wrote, and I quote, Jesus rebukes Mar Martha, but not for being busy in the kitchen. After all, she did have to prepare the meal. But rather, it's for her inattentive interior attitude. Betrayed by her annoyance with her sister, and Christ tenderly invites her to stop so as to return to her heart, the place of true welcome and the dwelling place of God's silent tenderness, from which she had been led away by the activity to which she was devoting herself so noisily. I love that. You see, our distractions, whether in the moment of silent prayer or in the moment of steady demands, do not need to ruin our lives and our relationships with God. Let me say that again. Our distractions, whether in the moment of silent prayer or in the moment of steady demands, they do not need to ruin our relationships and our lives with God. Our distractions instead can perhaps become invitations for us to return ever so silently back to the center of God's heart. Church family, perhaps our busyness isn't so much so the issue as much as it is our inner attentiveness to Jesus. I wonder if we are often like Martha. Even if we are forced like, okay, Martha, if the story had gone a different way, like, all right, Martha, sit down in front of Jesus. Okay, I sit down. Our minds, our hearts, and our souls would still be distracted elsewhere. How many of us have found ourselves in that position? Nope, just me. Okay. 
So much can be said about this, the distractions that we experience in life. I get it. We won't take, we can't take the entire day to, I mean, it, it will take the entire day to list them all. But let me just give you one big example of one simple distraction for us to consider. On average, in the U.S., a person spends two hours and 27 minutes on social media, period. Oh, you might think it's not much. This was from Business Insiders in 2016. You may wonder how much that is now that we've had a pandemic. In 20, now that we're in 2023. How about this one? The average, I shared this one with the high schoolers last week. The average iPhone user touches his or her phone 2,617 times a day. An average iPhone user in the U.S. touches his or her phone 2,617 times a day. Think about that for a moment. And by way of contrast, the psalmist said, I have set the Lord always before me. Psalm 16, verse 8. I just wonder, what, what would our lives be like if God touched our minds as frequently as we touch our phones? How much in proportion in time to anything else during a 24-hour period of time do we spend our time seeking God's presence? Seeking his face. Being with him. Being in his word. We spend probably more time in Facebook than we seek his face. Sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> but it's hard truth. From this passage, Martha teaches us that duty to serve should never replace devotion to listen. And in this passage, Mary is teaching us that sitting with Jesus takes priority over serving for Jesus. And Jesus is reminding us that his word is the one necessary meal for us that lasts. His presence is better than our present distractions. So what are we going to do this year? In 2023, what do we need to say no to in order we can, so that we can say yes to God? For much of my ministry, I subscribe to John 15 as my model. It talks about Jesus wanting us to abide in him. Prioritize that connection. And in that same language, what are we willing to give up to God so that God can prune certain things? May not be bad things. Could be good things that need to be let go this year. I think it's clear that the need of the hour is for us to live a, an unhurried life, to slow down. Just, I can't replicate the same joke for first service, but for first service, just for you to get the kick of it, I, 
I was a few minutes late, but I, was, I told them I was practicing my unhurriedness <laughs> to come to the pulpit. Okay, yeah, yeah, there's mild laughter. But even then, I wanted to walk around to make sure I'm praying and I'm starting from that place. And I feel like we have to talk about this one thing that we haven't, well, at least in my observation, we haven't talked about much, right? And that's spiritual disciplines that Jesus clearly practiced and lived out. And when he says, follow me, he says, follow after in those footsteps as well. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? We get so excited about talking about the, the truth part of it, yes, because those are good, and the life part of it, there's the ethics of good, yeah, they're good, and we never want to talk about almost like we're, we sh we're shying away from the, like adopting the very lifestyle of Jesus. He withdrew himself often. Sometimes it's for days. I'm not, or weeks. I'm not suggesting you take vacation for weeks and uh, you don't explain to your supervisor. But sometimes that's what he did. He took the time to be in silence and solitude. How much time do we have in silence and solitude to be in God's presence? It's a hypothetical question. I know some of you may be saying, oh, I don't, Pastor, I don't have time. Well, yeah, none of us will have time. You have to make time. So I ask again, how are we going to approach our schedule, our calendar? If I can just challenge us, look our calendar, set those dates, set those dates with Jesus. And one that I just mentioned, prayer walk. It's a, it, it's a little weird for me, but I'm getting used to it. I wanted to pr prayer walk more around the sanctuary. And if, even for, before second service, I tried to do that at least twice. I'm not saying that to boast, but like, it's an example. It's something simple we can do. Sometimes we get, I get it. Like Adventists, we, Adventists, we, we shy away from spiritual formation. Let me, let me say it this way. Like, we don't want to talk about it, that resorts us to not talking about it, not doing something about it. But the thing is, spiritual formation is not even a Christian thing. It's a human thing. Like you're either formed by something or someone. <laughs> Do you want it to be Jesus? My hope and prayer, the answer is yes. But if we resort to not ever talking about it and creating space for it, where do you think that leads us? Slowing down. I want to recommend a book that I've been reading uh, of a person that I met recently by the name of Alan Fadling, and the book is entitled Unhurried, Un Unhurried Life. He said something in this book that struck me deep. Let me share with you what he said. I've been experimenting he said, with seeing my work days as beginning with rest rather than ending in a collapse after a long day. That struck me. Sometimes our association, our experience with rest is only experienced when we're done with after something so big, so exhausting that we rest. 
But think about this, even in creation. What day were we created? The sixth, right? We didn't create nothing. We woke up simply to everything was a gift from God. <laughs> and what's the next thing we get to experience? The very climax of creation is God is desiring to be with us in space and time. My friends, if it, today is just a reminder that there is a king, there is the king of the universe desiring to sit down with you, to feast with you, and to linger more in his presence. So be it. He wants to be with us. And I'll leave you with this last quote. What Jesus wants most from us, perhaps, is not our service, but our friendship. He wants who we are more than what we do. As we begin this new year, my friends, we have chosen the word thrive to thrive this year together. But what we must remember, that thriving begins with being in God's presence. I challenge all of us as we leave this place, may we begin each day with rest that is found in him. Amen.